Okay, good morning. I'm Pastor Ellen. Glad that you're here with us or either on watching online. Uh, we started a new series last week called God is Blank. And today's topic is, we can pull that up. God is, we're filling in the blank this week with the word merciful. God is merciful. Actually, we're going to talk about multiple aspects of God. We mentioned 15 last week. You can go back and watch that if you missed it. And we started with this uh, quote from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if you don't want to argue with that, say one of the most important things about us. Because it will determine all the aspects of your lives. How you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you uh, feel about people and the surroundings. So really, really important. So that's why we're studying this. Now, we also said Christianity is a relationship, and relationship is are based on knowledge. So I need to tweak that a little bit. Um, there is intellectual knowledge. I can read a biography about somebody and learn a lot about them. I don't have a relationship with them. So we're talking about knowledge that allows you to have a relationship. Uh, Fifty years ago, I didn't know my wife. 40, whatever, many years ago, I met her, and then I've gotten to know her and established a relationship, and now we've had this long relationship for, she's not in here? Is she in? 40, for almost 47 years. I've known her 47 years, uh, but marriage for 47 years. <clears throat> so, critical that we get to know God, but you've got to know what God is like to get to know Him. Now, when our lives are going pretty good, we really don't have much trouble with this. If my life is good, God is good. But when my life is not so good, then it gets a little more complicated, doesn't it? Because we think, well, why would a God, good God make let bad things happen to us? So maybe God isn't so good. And we talked about doubt, doubt a few months ago. So when, you know, we can't pay the bills, when our when our body is betraying us like mine is right now, uh, feels like it anyway, uh, when our relationships go bad, um, whatever it might be, it's a little more difficult. and We can get discouraged and lose hope. Well, it's nothing new with us, <laughs> so we're going to look at something somebody wrote 3,000, almost 3,000 years ago. Uh, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and he wrote Lamentations, and I'm only going to read you a little bit. We could read all 20-some verses and he goes on talking about how terrible things in his life and the life of Israel is at the time, and it was. He was the prophet that told Israel, well, you're going to be carried off in captivity. So he wasn't a very popular guy. So we're going to pick it up in, what verse is it? Pull it up here, please. Uh, verse 19, Lamentation chapter 3. He kind of summarizes his plight this way. The thoughts of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. Most of us have probably never been homeless, but some of us have and right now. Uh, you think of your suffering, and maybe you've had bitterness, bitterness of towards someone, maybe bitterness toward God. So this is Jeremiah's plight and the people of Israel. <clears throat> I will never forget this awful time. If you had times you've never forgotten, I've got times in my past that I'll never forget. As grief over my loss, as a grief over my loss. So he has a loss. Yet, okay, sounds like it's a pretty dire situation, right? Yet I still dare to hope. 
So he's not completely discouraged. He dares to have hope. But what is it? what's the source of his hope? When I remember this, what did he remember? Next verse, please. When he remembered what? The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Life may be difficult, but the Lord's faithful love or loving kindness never ends. Other things start and stop, but that doesn't. And here's our word. His mercies never cease or never end. So great is his faithfulness. He's going to be always faithful with his mercy. His mercies begin afresh each morning. As we said last week, these attributes of God, just like your attributes, they are interwoven, woven, overlap, right? So we've got his faithfulness, his love, and his mercy all in this one verse. So I want to briefly touch on three attributes of God that overlap specifically for today's topic. The first one is justice. So what is justice? We say God is just. What is justice? Justice is when you get what you deserve. Now, funny thing about justice, we all want justice for those people that do wrong, right? Those, especially politicians and, and famous people, right? If they get caught doing something wrong, we want them to be punished. <clears throat> the funny thing is, though, when you and I do something wrong, do we want to be punished? No, no, no. We don't want justice for us. We want what? We want mercy. So mercy is what? Just the opposite. When you don't get what you deserve. So, I want a little hand raising here. Help me out with this. How many of you have ever been stopped by a patrolman? All right, put your hand up and keep it up. All right. You can put your hand down if you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't speed. You didn't have a rolling stop. You didn't... Put your hand down if you didn't deserve to be stopped. So probably most of us still have our hands up, right? All right. So how many of you didn't get a ticket you deserved? Keep your hands up. If you got it, something you... All right. So do you know what that means for all of you with your hands up? You can put them down now. All, that means for all of you and me included, we received mercy, didn't we? We didn't get what we deserved. Now, I'll give you my latest example about two months ago. I'm helping my daughter fix up her bus. She's, most of you know that. She's living in a bus or half living in a bus. So she wanted to put floor down, um, laminate flooring down. But she wanted to put an inch of foam uh, underneath it. So the bus is in Boonesboro. The foam is in four by eight sheets. And my mother-in-law's in Hagerstown. So we drive. Her, her, she drove her SUV and I drove mine. The problem is we didn't have a truck. You can't put a four-by-eight sheet of styrofoam in my car or her car. So I cut it down the middle. So now we've got sheets that are two feet by eight feet, and they fit in the cars. So I put two, two full ones or four halves on the passenger side of my car, and she did the same thing in her car. So then we drive to Boonesboro. I don't know if you remember this day, uh, but there were three accidents that morning on 70. Both directions were blocked. So I get to Boonesboro, when people can't drive on 70, they drive on 40 and alternate 40. Alternate 40 goes through Boonesboro. So I get to Boonesboro, and the traffic's backed up probably, you know, I got to wait three times to get through the light at the square. So I'm sitting in traffic, and my son Micah, who I'm helping building his house, seems to be a theme here, doesn't there? I'm helping build his house, he calls me. Now when I get a call in the car when I'm driving, I don't answer it, I put it on speaker. 
But I'm sitting in traffic, so I pick the phone up. Just as I'm talking to him, the patrolman goes by. He beeps at me, he says, I didn't hear it, beeps at me to get off my phone, but I didn't hear him, so I didn't get off my phone. So he turns around, and there's the blinking lights behind me, right? Pulls me over. So uh, I tried to, well, I did explain what was going on. Um, He said, well, you know, there's a, a, a pretty steep, fine for talking on your phone. I said, no, I didn't, I didn't realize it. Anybody know what it is? He didn't tell me. Anyway, so he's going to let me slide. He's going to be merciful to me. It even got more complicated. Then my car wouldn't start. I'm in the, in the lane blocking traffic. And uh, um, my daughter knew this uh, gentleman. And I called her, and he was very gracious to let her come and, hot, uh, you know, jump my car, and then I got it started. But we've all received mercy in lots of different ways, but specifically dealing with uh, police officers, right? So, there's justice, and there's mercy, and I don't know about you, but I've gotten justice too. I've gotten speeding tickets before. Uh, and then there's grace. Grace and mercy are linked because when I don't get what I deserve, I normally get something I don't deserve. So I got forgiveness for my stupidity of talking on the phone, didn't I? That was the grace that the officer gave me. But we want to focus on mercy this morning. So I want to look at something Paul wrote, where he he explains what life is before Jesus and after Jesus. And if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, uh, he's going to describe you and uh, all of us at one point, all right? So, this is in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of this unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So, those who don't have a relationship with God are not obeying God. And we all were there once upon a time. Some of us became Jesus followers, and he'll talk about that in a minute. So, we are dead, meaning you have no relationship with God. All right? That's what that means. Um, And the devil's at work, and the devil wants you to keep you there. All right? But God doesn't want to keep you there. So then he goes on. All of us used to live that way. Some Some of us may be still living that way, but all of us used to live that way. Following, and this word passionate desires... Another translation is energetic. You know, doing wrong stuff, bad stuff is kind of energetic, isn't it? It's kind of inspiring. It's fun. That's why we do it, right? Inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. And so we need to, those of us who are Jesus followers, that we are not in that state anymore, we need to not forget that. It's important that we remember where we came from. But it brings up a question. How can a loving God also be an angry God? How many of you are parents? Put your hands up. All right. So you've got children, right? Do your children ever do anything that makes you mad? Yes, they do, especially if it's something that they've kind of blatant in your face, right? Do you stop loving them because they do that? No, you don't. My wife was really angry with one of our kids yesterday. All right? She still loves that child, 
So um, you may have a friend that you really care about a lot. And if they do something like drink and drive, are you angry with them? I know I'm angry with them. Now, wives, we know you get angry with us husbands all the time for leaving the toilet seat up and all kinds of goofy stuff. But we can love and be angry. Now, God is beyond our comprehension. So if we can do that, certainly God can do that. Now, as the text goes on, I want to describe the next two words as two of the best words in the Bible. Two of the best words in the Bible. So what are the next two words in Paul's writing? He describes, you know, our sinful state, how we're dead in, in our relationship with God. And then he says what? But God. That's our condition. That's our state. But God. Meaning, but God doesn't want to leave us there. Leave us like that. He wants it to be something different. So he says, but God. So anytime you find that in Scripture, it's really uh, important. So text goes on. But God is so rich, and here's our word, in mercy. You know, I don't know if anybody here is rich financially. It means you have a lot of money. I'm not, but maybe you are. But God is rich in mercy, meaning he wants not to give us what we deserve. And he loved us so much. Again, there's the word love is linked. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life, no longer dead, when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, there's another word, that you have been saved. And most of you know I, I use a, 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 a website, Bible Gateway, that has like 60 plus translations of the Bible. And I looked, not at all of them, but I looked at all of them in this case. And I said, okay, is everybody going to translate it but God? So out of 60 plus, two didn't translate it but God. One said, and God, and the other says, however, God. Didn't change the meaning at all, does it? So, but God. Now, the Bible is, most of the Bible is written in Greek. And Greek has different uh, verb tenses than English. And we can't really understand it. So I'm going to try and explain to you the way the, way the, the word mercy is translated here. It's in the present tense. Now, when we say present tense in English, it means now, right? But when you mean present tense in Greek, it means what was, what is, and what's going to continue to be. So it's present tense from the past into the future. Does that make sense? Right? Where's Tim? Right? Am I explaining that right? <laughs> so you would translate it this way. His mercy is a completed action from the past. It is giving us that mercy now, and it's going to be continually <laughs> to, given to us in the future, a continual result. Pretty awesome, right? So, it brings up another question. Sometimes we think God's not fair, right? If God was fair, <laughs> this wouldn't happen or that wouldn't happen. On the flip side, I think most of us need to say, I thank God he's not fair. So I didn't get all those things I deserved, right? Also, we had mentioned last week, we often have a different concept of God in the Old Testament from the New Testament. He seems to be more angry and judgmental and so forth. So I'm going to try and prove to you today that the God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. 
and we're going to start right at the beginning of this book. First chapter of Genesis. God's creating everything. And then we get to this part where he says, And God looked over all he had made, the mountains and the woods and the oceans and everything he made, the animals and man, even mankind. He looked over all he had made and he saw that it was not just good, it was very good. Then we flip over to the second chapter and he's talking to Adam who he's created. And here's what he says. He warned him. Um, he's living in the Garden of Eden. He says, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this tree, you will sh are sure to die. Now, it's always been fascinating to me <laughs> that in the garden, when mankind began his relationship with God, there was only one rule. Only one. You would think, if there's only one, I ought to be able to keep that one, right? Uh, not so much. Um, and then my next question is, why did he put that tree there? Why didn't he just leave that one out, right? And the answer is because without an option to disobey, your obedience is hollow. Same thing with love. I like to describe it this way. It's fantastic that my wife loves me. She loves me out of billions of guys in the world. But if I was the only guy in the world, would it have much meaning that she loved me? You know, much choice, right? Same thing with mankind's relationship with God. So God gave man a choice. Gave Adam a choice. He gives you a choice. He gives me a choice. But then God said, there is one thing that's not good. So what was that one thing? Well, then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So he created Eve. So Adam and Eve's in the garden, and he's got this one rule, right? Then um, chapter 3, Satan enters a picture, and he says to them, did God really say you couldn't eat any fruit from the garden? Now notice, is that what God said? No, he said you couldn't eat this one tree, not all the fruit. And so it was easy for them to say no to that. But I think Satan was wise enough to say, if I give them the right the second question first, they're going to say, they're going to know the right answer. So then he says, well, God didn't really say you were going to die, did he? And so then they ate. And sin entered the world, right? And it disrupted the relationship with God. And then come, God comes after them. Now, did they wind up as two, you know, burnt crisp on the ground right after they ate the fruit? God could have done that, right? Did they literally die? No, they didn't die. So I put on your outline, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He didn't zap them. <laughs> he didn't get rid of them. He came looking for them. And after this discussion, he said, well, there's going to be some consequences to your sin. You are going to die eventually physically. Um, your sin has caused disruption in our relationship. God said, I'll take care of that. So there's going to be consequences. Women are going to have pain in childbirth. Um, men are going to have to labor. Uh, it's going to be sweat as you labor. Um, but then God did what? 
The wage of sin is death, so something has to die. Some blood has to be shed. So God killed an animal. There wasn't supposed to be any death in the Garden of Eden. God killed an animal, sacrificed for them to restore their relationship, and then he made clothes for them because uh, we're going to need clothes from this point on. So that's back beginning of recorded history here. And then when we fast forward to the last chapter, last two chapters in this book in Revelation, God says, I'm going to make everything new. Now, sin's messed up this world and messed up our relationship. In the time, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be perfect. Do we deserve for God to do that? No, we don't. But that's part of his, again, his mercy. All right, I want to fast forward to another character in Scripture, a guy by the name of David. He was a king. And David was really good at sinning. Are you guys, don't raise your hand. <laughs> we can be good at sinning, right? But David was good at sinning. I mean, the biggie sins. I mean, he committed adultery and he committed murder. But there's another story where he committed, in God's eyes, a big sin. He had all his, he did a census of the nation. And this upset God. Evidently, God didn't want him to do it. And he did it anyway. And so he had a prophet come to David and said, okay, consequences. You get to pick. I don't know, parents, do you ever do this with your kids? You know, if you say, your punishment for this is this, they're going to say, ah, I hate that. What we used to do with our kids is we give them an option. All right, you can have this punishment and that punishment. They didn't, there wasn't so much kickback because they had a, had a say in it. They still got discipline. They still got punishment. But um, they had a choice. So God, God gave David a choice, three choices. All right? He said, okay, you can suffer for a famine for seven years for what you've done and the people of Israel have done. Or you can be run from your enemies for three months. Or you can suffer a plague for three days. Who would you choose? I don't know. I don't know what I would choose. But here's David's choice and why he chose it. Uh, this is the second Samuel. David said to Gad, that's the prophet, I am in deep distress, pretty upset, right? Disturbed. Let us, nation of Israel, fall into the hands of the Lord. Why? For his mercy is great. He wouldn't fall in the hands of another army, but God, because they wouldn't be merciful, but God's mercy is great. Don't let me fall into human hands. And God was. Uh, a lot of people die, but still God was merciful. In fact, let me try and explain to you how much mercy means to God. In fact, to put it on the outline is a question. So, some of you know the story of Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, and they wind up in the, in, in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. So God says, okay, I want you to build me a house, a tent, tent house, to represent my presence. And so they did. And there's all these instructions in the Old Testament about how, how big it is and what's, what's the dimensions and what the material is and so forth. In the middle of the tabernacle, it's called the tabernacle, um, there was going to be the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was the thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody watch the Raiders of the Lost Ark? That's about that, that box, okay? And in that box had the Ten Commandments. It had uh, Moses' staff. It had a sample of, of the manna. Had different things in there, but basically it represented the law. It represented the law. And so 
What was on top of the box? What do you think is on top of the box? <laughs> All right, well, let's tell you what, in the instructions, after they built the box and covered it with, with uh, gold, they put, were instructed to put something on the top of the box. Uh, this is in Exodus. <laughs> he also made the mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits, like I said, length, and cubit and a half wide. He made two cherub bims of beaten gold. He made them one piece, so they kind of touched two ends of the mercy seat. So in the midst of his presence in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, on top of the law, God made room. God made a priority of mercy. In fact, here's a uh, possible way the ark looked. We don't know what it actually looked like, but I thought this was a pretty good uh, rendering. <laughs> so you got the ark of the covenant with the law in the box, but on top. More important than the law was God's mercy, or the mercy seat. Then I want to look at, let's look at something um, that James, half-brother of Jesus, wrote. And he's talking about uh, God's the law and judgment and so forth. He says this, Whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law, but not that law in that box, those of us who are Jesus followers. Those of you that aren't will be, but Jesus follows um, the law that sets you free. That's the law of grace and mercy, God's salvation, right? Then he goes on, for judgment is merciless for the ones who show no mercy. That's kind of hard to take, right? Are you a merciful person? I hope you are. But mercy triumphs over judgment, rules over judgment, is more important or greater than judgment. So there is justice, judgment or justice, getting what you deserve. But all of us are great recipients of God's mercy. If you're still breathing, you're a recipient of God's mercy and God's grace. So consequently, why should you and I be full of mercy? That was God's message through the, through the Scripture. That was Jesus' message when He walked here on earth, right? He would come up to a Anybody, and we say, I, I came for the sick, not for the well. I came for the prostitute. I came for the tax collector. I came for the uh, pornographer. I came for one addicted to drugs. I came for the adulterer. I came to show mercy to sinners. So if that's why Jesus came. Jesus follows, that's why you and I need to go. We need to make room, because Jesus makes room. And then what should be logical or, or, or reasonable response to the fact that you and I have seen such, received such great mercy from God? Well, Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 12, and we're just about finished. <laughs> Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, all right, so I'm, I'm aware, uh, in view of the mercies of God, the great mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So he doesn't want us to kill ourselves. He doesn't want us to shed our blood. He wants our, our regular lives, our 24-7 lives, getting up, going to work, raising our kids, whatever it might be, to be a 
offering to God, which means we seek to serve Him. We seek to worship Him. He says this is a holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Now, hopefully this is true worship here this hour on Sunday morning. But our lives should be true worship 24-7 as we seek to obey and serve God. Now you say, yeah, well, yeah, God may be merciful, but I'm still struggling. I'm still hurting. Let me remind you where we started. The faithful love of the Lord, bring that up, never ends. Whatever else is going on, Faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. They have no end. Continue on and on and on. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh each morning. Last question. What do you need from God? What do you need from God? His arms are open wide to give you. You just need to bring it. You need to come. So here's your homework assignment, if you will. Look for God's mercy in your life. You don't think about it too much. Look for God's mercy in your life. And then that reasonable service or reasonable response is look for opportunities to be merciful to others. Why are we so judgmental? Let's look for ways to be merciful. Let me pray with you. Ah, Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your mercy and your grace. We even thank you for justice because you supplied justice through your son, Jesus. So he was willing to come and suffer and die so that my sins would be forgiven and I could have a relationship with you. Such great mercy and grace. And Father God, we want to pray for anyone that's been watching or listening or here that uh, it's not a Jesus follower. Maybe they're here just checking it out or whatever it might be. We pray that today they would understand they are separated from you. That's not a good place to be. Not now or certainly not for eternity. It doesn't matter what they've done or how long they've done it. Your arms are open. Come as you are. Oh, we need to confess our sins. Say, yeah, yeah, I've done some things I shouldn't have done, God. and It's not allowed me to be in relationship with you. But I want a relationship with you. I understand how much you love me. I want to love you back. So here, take my sin. I accept your forgiveness, your grace and your mercy. And then I want to live for you. I want my life to be a living sacrifice. I won't be perfect. I'll still mess up. And I thank you that you love me still. Thank you, Jesus. Most of us are Jesus followers, and so we've experienced your mercy and grace and understand it to some, some extent. But I pray we do have a greater understanding, a greater appreciation of not just your mercy, but your grace and, and your loving kindness. You, God, you're so awesome. There's no, no end to your love, your mercy, or your grace. We can't thank you enough. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.